Hello and welcome to RCSI My Health. This podcast explores a wide range of areas in health and well-being and brings together some of the leading healthcare experts in these fields. Our goal is to empower you with the right knowledge so that you can make informed decisions about your health and well-being. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello and welcome to RCSI, University of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Trudy Meehan and today we will be talking about debunking the myths, talking to teenagers about sexual health. This panel discussion forms part of the RCSI My Health series. The series explores a range of topics in health and well-being and draws leading healthcare experts in the fields. With the goal of empowering people with knowledge to make informed decisions about their health and well-being. In today's panel discussion, we will look at how to engage with young people when talking about their sexual health. We received a number of questions from the public and we've done our best to incorporate those questions into the discussion that follows. Today, I'm joined by Professor Fargal Malone, Professor and Chairman, Department of Obstetrics and Gynaecology, RCSI, and Consultant Obstetrician, Rotunda Hospital, Dublin. Dr. Zara Malfi, Head of Research Programmes, Department of Obstetrics and Gynaecology, RCSI. Dr. Ronan Daly, Clinical Lecturer, Department of Obstetrics and Gynaecology, RCSI. Welcome to the RCSI My Health Series. Fergal, you and your team have developed a programme called Debunking the Myths, the Science Behind Sexual Health. Can you tell me a little bit about why you developed that programme, the motivation behind it? Was there a gap that you identified? Well, Trudy, in today's era of fake news, it can be very difficult for teenagers to access reliable sources of information on sexual and reproductive health. Indeed, many teenagers get their information on sexual and reproductive health from idealised images that they see on the internet, social media, TV, film. And many of these images do not correspond with the reality of most people's body images. Previous research has shown that there's a significant gap here. An ESRI study in 2020 looked at data behind people, teenagers' understanding of talking about sex and where they get information. And it showed that there was a real gap, in particular amongst males from lower income groups, and in particular from males in rural areas, where they didn't seem to have as much access to reliable information. And this is a real problem because we have found that when you look at 13-year-olds, the majority of 13-year-olds get their information on sexual and reproductive health from their parents, but the majority of 17-year-olds get their information from peers and other teenagers. And this has real consequences because those who get, teenagers who get their information on sexual health from other teenagers are significantly less likely, for example, to use contraception the first time to have sex. So there's real consequences towards this gap in knowledge at the moment. Wow, so you identified a gap with some very significant consequences. And I imagine there's been some benefits to your programme. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the benefits you've seen? Well, clearly there's significant benefits in that we have had large numbers of teenagers from schools throughout the country who have accessed their information, have given us feedback on how useful it is. 
we have heard feedback that the current RSE curriculum is very helpful and very useful, but it's often considered too little too late. And it doesn't seem to hit the particular topics and particular targets that students themselves, the teenagers themselves want. So we found by giving teenagers, giving young people access to reliable sources of information, sources of information that they can depend on is really helpful. And in parallel with that, we need to empower teenagers to judge where are those reliable sources of information. We can give them facts now, but even more powerful is to show them how to judge sources of information for the future. Then they can get the facts for themselves into the future. Wow, that, that's really a great model. You've touched on some of the topics that you have included in the programme. And, and Zara, you're one of the programme co-leads. Would you be able to just give us an overview of some of the topics that are included in the workshops and maybe some of the work you've done to date? Yeah, sure, Trudy. So some of the topics that we um, have brought into the curriculum of debunking the myths is STIs, contraception, sexual assault treatment unit, consent, periods, um, anatomy, both male and female. Um, and with the help of the funding we've received from SFI and from the Rotunda Foundation, we have rolled out workshops since September 2022. Um, so in the last couple of months, we've engaged over 1,200 students in person. Um, we had a workshop online uh, where we had 1,400 students enrolled. Um, and those students that enrolled online, they would have received kits to their schools. So it would have been a very similar experience to that of those that came to in-person workshops. Um, and then in March alone, we've had 500 teenagers through the door. And in April, we'll have an online workshop where we will have 3,000 students engaged. Wow, that, that's a really lovely reach. And one of the things that I heard the programme includes is it allows young people to submit questions anonymously. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And, and has it been beneficial for you as programme developers to, to hear directly from young people? Yeah, absolutely. It sure, it sure has helped us um, in the content that we deliver in the slides that are created, that are constantly updated um, to contain feedback that teens give us. So the way we operate is we have an online forum, they come into a room or again online, they scan a QR code, they can see on their phones or on their school tablets the slides that are presented by the expert speaker and um, they can flick through the slides, they can go back if they want to read something again but at all times there's an option for them to hit question and they can type their own free-flowing question on any topic that concerns them under the remit of debunking the myths and the speaker will either answer directly after the talk or at the end the panel may sit and do a full round of questions on any topic that comes in um, during the course of the workshop. Wow, that, that, that sounds amazing. Um, Ronan, Zara mentioned that there were some key topics that came up for young people. Would you be able to just briefly give us an overview of almost the main areas that you think we should be focusing on or that you've learned we should focus on? Yeah, so we try and cover a range of topics that are relevant to them as young people uh, today. So um, one of the things we do to help to orientate the people attending to the topic is we'll talk about anatomy. So anatomy that's relevant to sexual health, so male and female reproductive anatomy, um, just to help kind of initiate them a little bit more into the area. Um, Piggybacking off that, we would also discuss topics such as periods and menstruation, which give people who have experience um, of that 
the opportunity to ask questions about you know what's normal, what's not normal, and gives them a chance to kind of uh, learn a bit more about it. And for some people who have never had any experience or know very little about that area, it gives them kind of a new exposure and gives them a bit more information. Um, we as we always ask questions, you know, ask for questions. And one of the two topics that we get probably the most questions about are things to do with contraception and STIs. Um, and I think that there is a real appetite from young people for you know advice and information about those topics that are so relevant to them but that comes from a medical perspective um, and then we do also uh, talk about consent and the sexual assault treatment unit so we get in experts who have worked in that area and we're in that field to talk to students and I don't think any discussion about sexual health in young people in Ireland today could be complete without also discussing uh, sexual assault and, and consent as well. Yeah no that's great that makes a lot of sense. Um, Fargal, if you don't mind, I'll come back to you and ask you a little bit about, you mentioned contraception and Ronan mentioned it as one of the key topics as well. Can you give us maybe just an overview of some of perhaps the misconceptions, but also the key things you'd like people to know about the area of contraception? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about contraception. And one of the benefits of our programme by empowering teenagers to ask whatever question they want anonymously and without judgment is that we find out what those misconceptions are. And one of the more common ones that we hear is that um, when you're taking the contraceptive pill, you have to take a, a week break, a one week break with it. Now, of course, that's not true. The contraceptive pill, one of the main reasons it was originally developed was not just contraception, but for menstrual cycle regulation. So that's the main reason that you have three weeks of taking a pill and a week off, and that's to give menstrual cycle regulation, really, rather than contraception. So if a teenager or young person wants to run back-to-back -back pills, or indeed take a shorter um, gap between pills, that's perfectly acceptable. For example, if a teenager has an exam coming up and it just so happens that their three weeks of their pill is finishing up in the middle of the exam and they're worried that they're going to have some bleeding then, they can continue right through into another um, pill pack. So back-to-back -back pills are very common. And teenagers seem very taken by and interested when they hear that, that reality. Another common one we get is the morning after pill. And is it true that the morning after pill has to be taken only on the morning after? Whereas nowadays, while we would encourage people who find themselves in need of um, uh, the morning after pill to take it as soon as possible, but there are versions of the morning after pill that are perfectly um, effective up to three days afterwards, and some that are up, uh, effective up to five days afterwards. So there's no um, huge urgency um, it's good to get your treatment as soon as possible, but there's no huge urgency that, oh, I've missed the first 24 hours, it won't work now, it's hopeless. That's not the case. And again, uh, that seems to resonate with young people that there are options there. Yeah, that, that's, that's really great to see that there's a, a, a bigger window there as well. Thanks for that. Um, you touched on periods, so I'll, I'll jump to Zara if you don't mind. And, and I know periods is one of the topics that's covered in the sessions. And even though... Like it's an everyday experience. I imagine there's huge individual variations and still lots of misunderstandings around the topic. Can you give us just some of the, the topics or questions that young people bring to you or that you communicate about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, some of the misconceptions would be, I can't get pregnant if I'm on my period. That's not necessarily true. Um, there is obviously a lower risk associated with having sex while 
on a period. However, teenager cycles are quite irregular um, the first couple of years while they have them. So it's not necessarily a 28 day cycle with ovulation at day 14. So there are risks. So um, obviously protected sex is the safest option in that case. Um, another, um, it's actually really interesting on, on during the slides for menstruation, we ask questions and we have polls where teenagers can vote that for different answers. Um, and one of the kind of topical ones is what age should I expect to get my period? Um, so the age range is quite wide. It can be anything from 10 to 15 years of age. And then you do get questions then submitted. It's like, oh, I'm 16. Should I be concerned? I don't have my period just yet. So in case like that, we would advise to go Go speak to a GP and um, go have a chat um, and then um, discuss further with family and with the GP. But definitely the age range and then the duration of a period, how long it lasts, um, typically between three to five days. But some can be shorter, some can be slightly longer. So there is no real norm for teenagers. They are, they, periods by nature can be quite irregular at that time. But we would advise again, anything longer than seven days, again, to go speak to a GP. Okay, great. That's really helpful. Thank you. Ronan, the programme promises evidence-based information, but one of the other really nice things about the programme is that it also promises non-judgmental information. And I imagine that's particularly important in the area of sexually transmitted infections. Can you tell us some of the areas that young people are interested in or maybe some of the misconceptions that they have about STIs? Yeah, so I think we try and bring uh, uh, come at everything from an approach of a non-judgmental approach when we're discussing anything at the debunking sessions, but I think it's particularly relevant to STIs. Um, the goal or the purpose at the sessions is not to you know add to the stigma or the shame that people may feel if they um, have an STI. So you know we don't show students you know pictures that are intended to shock them or scare them or anything like that. Um, we try and give them information that they can use and resources that they can use themselves to to access. Um, so I suppose one of the, the common things we get asked is, you know, how will I know I have an STI or will I know if I have an STI? And we do tell, you know, the young people who attend that STIs are often asymptomatic, that a lot of people won't have any symptoms, but they do have very, can have very significant health consequences for them. Um, so we do, you know, also tell students about the possibility that they may have, you know, lumps or bumps or skin rashes. They may have discharge or painful urination. So we do tell them the symptoms they may have, but also that some STIs will have no, no symptoms at all. So we do really strongly highlight the importance of, you know, getting tested um, and going for an STI test. There is a lot of myths and misconceptions among students around STI tests and what happens at, at them. Um, so we try initially to encourage students of and young people when to go for an STI test. So if they have a new partner, if they've had unprotected sex, um, if they know their partner has an STI, um, or if obviously if they have any symptoms as well, there would be reasons why we would encourage them to go and get and get tested. Um, they, you know, we walk them through what happens at an STI test from the minute they make the appointment to when they walk through the door to when they go home and how they're followed up. Um, so to try and make sure that they're as informed as possible about the process and take away some maybe of the fear about going. Um, we get a lot of questions as well about the different STIs and the symptoms that they present with. So we do go through those. We talk to them about the different treatments or managements that are available for different STIs um, and there, we do also get questions about you know um, things like HIV transmission there's a lot of questions of can I get HIV if 
And, you know, we try as much as we can to deal with those questions in the slides and in the presentation, but also if they ask them at the roundtable discussions at the end, we do go through a lot of those those topics and trying and, you know, minimise the concerns or the, the fears that some students may be dealing with. Um, and we also tell students about, you know, the improvements in sexual health over the last few years, the things that have been achieved and, you know, that a person with an undetectable viral load is not transmissible, cannot pass on the virus or transmit the virus to another person. Um, so we do try and make sure that they have a fairly global understanding around sexual health and STIs. Um, the other things that we would also discuss or that they ask, often ask about is, you know, where to go or how to access um, STI testing. Uh, and particularly, you know, do they need to tell, tell their parents about it? Do they need to go to their local GP to have it done who's been their GP forever? So we would usually tell them, you know, no, that there's, you know, many clinics across the country. And um, there's the Guide Clinic in James's in Dublin, which is fantastic and has a particular uh, clinic for young people, um, which allows them to access STI testing. Um, we also talk to them about um, sh24.ie, uh, which is an Irish website, um, which will provide people for free with home STI tests for anyone over the age of uh, 17. Um, and it, it, that is something I didn't think just that they have as much access uh, and awareness of the resources that they can use and go to as possible. Well, that, that's a really great resource and that they can access them for free and at home and... Oh, that's great. And uh, you've brought up an interesting point around age, because I think there's often a lot of confusion around at what age do you need to be for certain services. So, Fergal, I'll just come back to you briefly around the issue of contraception. What are the age ranges and some of the questions that young people might have around that? Well, truly, we perceive one of the significant barriers to young people accessing contraception is this fear or concern that if you're 16 or 17 years of age and you go to your GP, the GP is going to have to tell their parents or they're going to have to have the consent of their parents and they may not be comfortable with that. It's important to realise that the age of medical or surgical consent in Ireland is 16. The age of consent for sex is 17. Um, so there is absolutely no problem with a 16-year-old engaging with their GP privately, uh, confidentially, without the involvement of their parents uh, and being able to consent um, for medical treatment, which includes contraception. Not all GPs, however, may be comfortable um, uh, prescribing contraception to a 16-year-old without uh, involving the parent, but they would require the consent of the teenager to do that. So we would certainly encourage a dialogue or con a conversation between the young teen and their GP, but they are absolutely entitled to consent to their own medical treatment after 16. Um, it's also important to realise that with the new great programme for free access to contraception for 17 to 26 year olds in Ireland, um, they can engage with their GP and be expected to be prescribed contraception for free. And not only that, pharmacists are now also able to prescribe over the, or to dispense over the counter and without a GP's prescription, uh, emergency contraception uh, to a 17 year old. So there's absolutely no problem if um, a young teen finds himself in a situation that time is of the essence, uh, they don't want to or don't have time to see their GP, they can absolutely uh, see a pharmacist and emergency contraception can be dispensed. That's really important information. Thanks for, for sharing that with us. Ronan, I'm just going to come back to you because one of the lovely things that you said is how you walk young people through the experience of going to a clinic. And I suppose one of the 
challenging experiences for young people who have to come to a clinic or a service might be if they have to contact the sexual assault treatment unit. Can you talk us through what they might expect or, or what, you know, some information that might demystify that experience for people? Yeah, so I think it's an important topic to discuss with young people um, at the sessions. Um, we know that about a quarter, about 24% of um, attendances to the sexual assault treatment units are people who are under the age of 18. So it is a significant um, issue and, and a reason for presentation at these clinics. So it's important to, to raise it with students and make them aware of it. So we do advise them um, about the possibilities that, you know, when they go, what to expect. So, you know, the different types of examination that may be involved at it. We would also discuss them that some people would go not to, for forensic examination, not to involve, you know, the guards or make an official complaint against someone, but for even things like follow-up for counselling, following sexual assault, emergency contraception, STI testing, all those things is appropriate. So it's a service that's there, even if it's not something someone is pursuing legally, but that they may wish to have more information and more support from. Um, and to also like allay any health concerns that they may have. Um, we usually do get a lot of questions in regards to sexual assaults. We would, you know, often have questions about or misconceptions about, you know, a person who uh, will have a lot of injuries after a sexual assault. And we know that that's not the case, that often there, there won't be any, any visible injuries or significant physical injuries after a sexual assault um, or that you know it's a stranger on the street and that kind of thing and we know from you know uh, from research and presentations to the sexual assault unit that that's not uh, always the case it's often someone that the, the person knows themselves um, so those are the kind of things we try and, and, and talk to them about and make them more aware of um, we also would talk them through yeah, the different types of examinations that they can expect to have and what the role and the purpose of the SATU is we try to give them as much information as possible in regards to how to access it so we would direct them to the HSE website has a lot of really good resources about you know where to go and who to call with actual phone numbers and things like that and that's that that young people can access access that Um, and also what to do you know if a friend uh, confides in someone that they've been sexually assaulted or that they've been raped that they have the a bit of resources and a bit of knowledge that they can use to help others and we encourage them to be you know comforting to be supportive and to try and guide them in the, in the right direction so the information that we give to those students may not hopefully ever affect those students or they may never need it but that for others even down the line as well that they may be able to support others in that too that makes a lot of sense thanks Ronan what's really coming through is the real value of having information and reliable information. Zara, can you point us to some additional resources that you and your team have felt are very helpful and that parents or caregivers should know about? Yeah, so we have a really great website, um, and there's a resource tab there um, which links you direct to a whole variety of different um, websites, such as sexualwellbeing.ie, which is a wonderful resource. Um, there's a great tab for contraception and it talks through all the different types of contraception that are now covered under the new contraception scheme. Um, another great one is sh24.ie. So this is the, S- the STI kits that Ronan has just spoken about. Um, so how you go about ordering them, the information that's required and the types of tests that they offer. Um, so sh24 and sexualwellbeing.ie are really great ones. That's great. Thank you very much. As we wrap up... It's a very difficult question in a way, but if you had one thought or takeaway message that you'd like people who are listening or watching today to take away with them, 
what would that be? So Fargal, I'll put you on the spot first. What might that be for you? Well, I think the one takeaway message for young people, teenagers in particular, is there is now free access to contraception. Engage with your GP. Um, you do not need the consent or to inform parents. Um, discuss things with your GP. Um, discuss with your GP whether or not you want to involve your parents. Um, but there's absolutely no problem accessing all forms of contraception now. The other message I'd like to just underscore for parents and teachers is there's nothing in our program that is designed to undermine their role in the uh, RSE curriculum. In fact, the feedback we've heard from teachers is they really appreciate the added value that this is giving. So we're not trying to um, do something in parallel with Department of Education uh, goals, but really just to support and fill this real knowledge gap that's there at the moment. That's great. Thank you very much. Sarah, the same question for you. Um, I guess through our Debunking the Myths program, we hope to remove the stigma that's associated with conversations around contraception, periods, STIs. So we hope that it empowers teenagers, parents, caregivers to discuss openly and confidently about their concerns in relation to their own health. That's really important. Thank you very much, Sarah. And Ronan, for you, what would be your key message you'd like to say? Um, I suppose the again, yeah, the stigma around you know STIs has been significant, and we do know that there's between the ages of sixteen to twenty five, the rates of things of STIs like chlamydia are rising, and um, they are going up, but. Um, which can be a scary statistic, but at the same time, you know, we know about those cases because people have gone and gotten tested. So I think just to highlight the importance of going to get an STI test, whether that's in a clinic or whether that's by using SH24 and getting a, an STI kit sent to your house. Um, those are just kind of important things to be aware of that, you know, there shouldn't be any concern or fears around going for an STI test. And that, again, it's looking after your own health. It's taking responsibility for your own health um, and, uh, you know, can really make a significant impact on, on your own reproductive and sexual health going forward. Thank you very much. Really important messages today. And I really love breaking the stigma as well and, and messages of care. So thank you. That concludes our discussion for today. And I'd really like to thank our panelists, Professor Fergal Malone, Dr. Zara Mulfi and Dr. Ronan Daly. Thank you. Further details of the RCSI My Health series can be found on the RCSI website. And all episodes of the RCSI My Health series can be found on any major podcast platform. From all of us here at RCSI University of Medicine and Health Sciences, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening to RCSI My Health. We hope you found this episode useful and informative. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date on health-related topics directly from the experts. For more information on RCSI My Health series, please visit rcsi.com forward slash myhealthlectures.